A man can give money to a shopkeeper or a baker so that he will acquire for himself a share in an Erev. Meaning, if a member of a courtyard or a member of a Movoy knows that the people who are going to make the shit of Movoyes or the Erev Chatseris in his courtyard or in his Movoy, he knows that they're going to come to this shopkeeper to buy food for the sake of the shit of Movoyes or the Erev Chatseris. So he gives money to the shopkeeper now and tells him that when this person comes to buy food for the sake of the Shidim Mavayis or the Erev Chatseris, give him the food which I paid for as well so that he will use that food for the Shidim Mavayis. So instead of a person giving food directly for the Shidim Mavayis from himself, he tells the shopkeeper to give the food for him. Now the halach is, at least according to this Mishnah, that although Midoraisa money is a way of acquiring something, just by paying for something, that means that you already own it. Midjabonon, paying for something, does not transfer the ownership to you. Rather, in general, for items which you can move, such as food, you would need to lift it up in order to acquire it. Lift it up or bring it towards you, but just by paying for it, Midjabonon does not transfer the ownership to the person who pays for it. So in this case, by this person paying the shopkeeper for that food, he does not acquire the food, which means that when the shopkeeper gives this food to the other person to make it as part of the Shedim of that food is not coming from the person who paid for it. So it will not help for him to be part of the Erev. However, Abeliezer holds that in this case, the Rabbonin did not apply their decree, since it's for the sake of an Erev, which is a mitzvah in itself, and it allows people to carry, so it is permitted in this case, and the Erev will be valid even if he only pays for it and does not actually acquire it for himself. Divir that is the opinion of Rebeliezer, who holds that since at least on a Midoraisa level, paying for it does transfer the ownership, so the Erev is considered valid. However, the Chachom argue, the Chachom say, his money does not acquire the Erev for himself, that food for himself, and therefore he is not considered to be part of the Erev. Just like in every other scenario, money does not acquire it. So to over here, the food is not considered to be his. Now the truth is, in general, an Eir Chatseris can technically, and a Shedim voice as well, can technically be made by one member of the courtyard. And if he's a very nice man, then he can take food, which is enough for everybody. He can take his own food and say that he is, a, he is passing the possession over to everybody else in the courtyard. And that is a valid Erev. However, even that would not help in this case. For example, if let's say the shopkeeper is a member of the courtyard, so even if he then takes his own food and says that he's passing possession over to everybody else in the courtyard, so that it will be for the sake of an Erev Chatseris, even in that case, this person who paid for the food would not be part of the Erev. Because since he paid for it, he's showing that he is only going to be part of the Erev if he actually acquires it for himself. Not if somebody else gives over the food for the sake of the Erev. So even in that case, this person would not be part of the Erev. Now interestingly, the Mishnah continues, With all other people who is not a shopkeeper, if somebody gives money to another member of the courtyard, and he says, When you contribute food to the Erev, also contribute on my behalf. In that case, His money does make him part of the Erev, the reason being that since he's not a shopkeeper who deals with food, when a person pays him to contribute um, food for him for the Erev, he's not paying for the actual food. He's paying for the other person to do a favor for him and to contribute for the Erev on his behalf. 
But he's not saying that that food should be considered mine. He's saying the food should still be considered yours. But you should do it on my behalf. And that way, even though the money does not acquire the food, he will see be part of the Erev, since that person will contribute to the Erev with him in mind as well. Now, though the next part of the Mishnah begins with She'ein, which implies that it's a continuation of the previous part, the Mephar should explain that it's actually a new law. She'ein wa'arven adam shalei the one is only able to make an Erev for somebody else with his knowledge and permission. And as the Mishnah continues, Omar Yehuda, Yehuda said, When are these words said? When it comes to an Erev Tachumen, which is where one places food at the edge of one's Tachum, or within one's Tachum, so that he can travel further than 2,000 Amas in a particular direction on Shabbos. And the Mishnah is telling us that if one wants to make an Erev Tachumen on behalf of somebody else, he can only do so with that person's permission. And the Mishnah will explain why in a moment. But firstly, it contrasts it to When it comes to which are for the sake of allowing people to carry in a courtyard, one can make an Erev on behalf of somebody else, meaning one can include other members of the courtyard in the Erev, both with their knowledge and even without their knowledge. One can do it without telling them and without their permission. So what is the reason for this difference? Because one is able to do something which is a gain for somebody else, not in front of him. But one is not allowed to do something which could be a loss for somebody, if not in front of him. And this is an important rule for many different things. And its application here is that when it comes to an Erev Tchumen, as we learned earlier on in the Masechta, what an Erev Tchumen does is that it changes one's Mokam shavisa from his house or his city to somewhere somewhere else. But whatever he gains on one side of the city, or on one side of his house, he loses on the other side. So although it could be a gain for him if he wants to go in that direction, it's also a loss for him because he can't go as much as he could before in the other direction. And because of that, you need his permission before making an Erev Tuchumin for him. And if you do it without his permission, then it's not considered valid. On the other hand, when it comes to an Erev Chatseris, at least in most scenarios, it's only considered to be a benefit. There's no loss. Without an Erev Chatseris, he's not allowed to carry in the, in the house. Whereas with an Erev Chatseris, he can carry. He doesn't lose anything out, and therefore, one is able to include somebody else in an Erev Chatseris, even without his permission and without telling him. Although the main discussion of these parochim now is concerning Eruvei Chatziris and Shittif Mavoyos, the next couple of Mishnahis go back to the discussion of Eruvei Tchumen. And the Mishnah asks, How can a joint Eruvei Tchumen be made? If let's say there are a number of people from a particular city who want to travel further than 2,000 Amas on, on Shabbos, so do they each have to make their own Erev, or can they do it jointly? So the Mishnah says that one person can go and maniach hasechavis. He can place a barrel of wine or other food at the place where they want the Erev Tchumen to be. The Oman, he should state, Behold, this is for all of the people from my city. Obviously not for everybody, but he means it's for everybody who wants to be part of the Erev Tchumen. Now, of course, if it's his own food, then he has to transfer the ownership of that food to everybody who wants to use it. And the way he can do that, we learned earlier on in the Masechta, he can just give it to somebody else, and that person lifts it up with the intention to acquire it on behalf of everybody who wants to be part of the Erev. Or if the food anyway came from those people, so then he doesn't have to acquire it to them now, because it's anyway their food. And the Mishnah adds a very important law. To all those who are going to the house of mourning, or a house where there is a feast celebrating a wedding, only people like that are allowed to use an Erev Tchumen at all. 
Since it's for the sake of a mitzvah, so that is when the law of Erev Tchumen applies. The one is not allowed to make an Erev Tchumen if it is not for the sake of a mitzvah at all. If he just wants to go on a longer walk on Shabbos, one cannot make an Erev Tchumen. The entire concept was only made so that somebody can travel further in order to do a mitzvah. Alright, continues the Mishnah. Anybody who accepts upon himself before Shabbos comes in, what is it is still day, he accepts upon himself to use this Erev on Shabbos, Mutter, it is permitted for him to use it on Shabbos. However, if he only accepts it upon himself once it has got dark, after Shabbos came in, then Osir, it's forbidden for him to use that Erev. Rather, his Makamash Visa remains his city as regular. Because one cannot make an Erev once it has got dark, once Shabbos has come in, since his Makamash Visa has already been defined as being his house. The truth is, the Gemara explains that even if he does not accept upon himself before Shabbos to use the Erev, it's enough that he just knows that there is an Erev there, and then if he decides to use it on Shabbos, then we view it as if he accepted it before Shabbos. But the point is that the Mokmash Visa has to be defined already when Shabbos comes in, and not later. Mishnah Beis, we learned in the previous Perek that when it comes to an Erev Chatzeris and a Shedav Mavoyos, the minimum amount of food which each participant, each member of the Erev Chatzeris or the Shedav Mavoyos has to give is the size of a kugigeres, the size of a dried fig. We learned that if there's lots of people, then you never need to make it larger altogether than the size of 18 grigeres, which is the amount of two meals worth. But that is the maximum for everybody put together. On the other hand, the mission now tells us that kamahu shi'urei, how much is the minimum shira, the minimum amount, which each participant, each member needs to give for the air of tchumen? The answer is, mezayn she'urei's l'chol echad. Two meals worth for each member. For every single person who wants to be part of the Erev Tachumin, there has to be two meals worth there. And the reason for this difference is because as we have learned, the purpose of an Erev Tachumin is to define one's Mokam Shavisa as being in the place of the Erev. The Mokam Shavisa is the place where he is considered to be living. And so for that, you need a lot of food. You need a real day's worth of food because you're considered to be living there for Shabbos. Whereas when it comes to an Erev Chatzeris or Shedev Mavoyais, that's not saying that you live there. Rather, it's saying that everybody is joint together as one unit. So for that, you only need a little bit of food, and therefore the size of a Kugigeres, of a dried fig, is enough. Now, how exactly does one define two meals worth? So there's a very interesting machleks over here. It's the amount of food which you would eat on a weekday, and not the amount he would eat on Shabbos, according to Rabbi Meir. So two weekday meals is the amount that he has to put there. Whereas Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, the Shabbos we judge it by how much he eats in two meals on a Shabbos and not on a weekday. And the Mishnah notes that Zevozem is coming in both Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda were intending to be lenient. They were intending to refer to the smaller amount. Rabbi Meir holds that on a weekday one eats less bread in a meal. On Shabbos people tend to eat more. The food is tastier, so they're going to eat more bread. And therefore, the smaller amount, the smaller meal, is going to be a weekday meal. So that is all that one needs for a of of Tchumen. On the other hand, Rabbi Yehuda holds that on Shabbos, since one eats three different meals, instead of only two meals, so in each meal, he tends to eat a bit less bread. And because of that, that is considered to be the smaller amount. And so that is what is needed for the two meals worth, which are for the Erev. Mishnah has a third opinion for the amount of bread which is needed for the Erev Tchumen. This is more of a complicated opinion. Rabbi Yochanan ben Bereka Oimer. Rabbi Yochanan ben Bereka says, Mekikar bepundiyon. It has to be a loaf of bread which is worth a pundiyon, which is a type of coin. Me'arbas in besela. When one can buy four sa'ah of flour, 
of grain with one sela coin. Now, how much is that exactly? So there are 48 pundion in a sela. One sela coin is worth 48 pundion coins. That's fact number one. Fact number two is that force R, force in, is equivalent to 576 beats in. A is a volume. Beats is the size of an egg, also a volume. So one R is 144 beats in, and force R is 576 beats in. So if 576 beats in, i.e. force R, can be bought with one seller coin, that is the same as saying that 576 beats in can be bought for 48 pundion. So if 48 pundion can buy 576 beats in, then one pundion can buy 12 beats in. 576 divided by 48 is 12. So that is the amount which the Mishnah is referring to. However, the Gemara explains that this is how much grain or how much flour one can buy with one pundion. But we're talking about bread. And in general, bread costs double the amount of the grain. Since the baker had to process it into bread himself, he had to spend that time doing it, he would generally charge double its worth in grain. So if one pundion can buy 12 beatsim of grain, then it can buy 6 kabatesim, the size of 6 eggs of bread. So that is the opinion of Rabbi Yechim that the loaf of bread used for each person for the Erev Tuchumen has to be at least the size of 6 eggs. Alright, and the fourth opinion for the amount of bread which is needed, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, Shteyodos Lekikar, two-thirds of a loaf, Misholosh Lekav, when a loaf is defined as a third of a kav. A kav is the equivalent of 24 kabatesim, the size of 24 eggs, so a third of a kav is 8 eggs, and two-thirds of a third of a kav is 5 and a third kabatesim. So whereas Rabbi Shimon said it has to be the size of 6 kabatesim, Rabbi Shimon is slightly more lenient, and he says that it only needs to be the size of 5 and a third kabatesim. Now once we've calculated the amount of two meals worth, the Mishnah uses these calculations to apply them to two different cases, not related to Erevin, but the first one relates to a house which has tsaras on it. Tsaras are certain types of spots which can appear either on a person, on one's clothes, or on a house, and wherever it does appear, the person or the clothes or the house becomes Tomei. Now if somebody enters a house which has tsaras, then he himself becomes Tomei, but his clothes do not become Tomei. But if he enters the house and then stays in the house for enough time to eat a meal, even if he doesn't actually eat a meal, but if he stays in there for enough time to eat a meal, then not only does he become Tomei, but even his clothes become Tomei. So since we just went through the long calculation of what exactly two meals worth is, we can easily work out what one meal's worth is. So as the Mishnah half of the amounts we just mentioned would be the shear, would be the minimum amount for someone who enters a house which has tsaras on it. So according to Birman Bereka, who said that two meals worth is the equivalent to six kabatesim, so if one enters a house of tsaras for enough time to eat three kabatesim, then his clothes would be tomei. Now, for Rabbi Shimon, it's slightly more complicated. The Gemara explains that it's not actually half of five and a third eggs, according to Rabbi Shimon, but the amount would be the amount of time it takes to eat four eggs, which is slightly more than half. The reason being that, according to Rabbi Shimon, we were extra lenient when it comes to a Ruvin, since it's Medjabonon. But since the tumor of somebody who enters a house of Tsaras is Midoraisa, so we're slightly more strict and we view one meal's worth as being four kabatesim, whereas when we calculate the two meals of, when it comes to Erevin, two meals is five and a, half, five and a third kabatesim, so over there the meals are calculated as smaller than when it comes to Tsaras.
Alright, and the next halacha which we apply these calculations to is somebody who eats tome food. The halacha is the mijabonon, he becomes tome with a small degree of tuma, a low-level tuma. And that low-level tumor means that he is forbidden to eat truma or carbonos. So if he is a Kohen, he cannot eat truma or carbonos when he has that tumor on him. But it's a very low-level tumor. If he touches anything, he can't actually make anything else tome. But it prevents him from eating truma or carbonos. Now, how much tome food does he have to eat in order to gain that level of tumor? Half of half of those, those amounts. So a quarter of the amounts we said, meaning half a meal's worth. That's the amount that one would have to eat, to invalidate the body, meaning to make the body tome with regards to eating truma or carbonos. Mishnah Gimel, the Mishnah's discussion goes back now to Erev Chatseris, and the case in this particular Mishnah is where you have a courtyard with houses or apartments, where those who live on the upper story, on the higher floor, their door does not open up onto the floor of the courtyard itself, Rather, there is a long balcony across the entire length of the courtyard. And from that balcony, there are stairs which go down to the floor of the courtyard. And that is how those members access their houses. Now, if this balcony is higher than tent fachim above the ground of the courtyard, and pretty much all scenarios it would be, then although the members of the balcony do have access to the courtyard, and they are allowed to use it, they are considered to be in a different domain to the members of the lower houses which open up directly into the courtyard. So the mission begins, Anshichotz of Anshamar Peses, the people of the courtyard, that refers to those who live lower down, whose houses open directly into the courtyard. But Anshamar Peses and the people whose houses open up into the balcony, Shashachu they forgot to make an Erev together. Now it's very important to realize we're talking about a case where they all made an Erev, but separately. So all of the Anshimar Peses made an Erev together, and all of the Anshichotse made an Erev, but they did not join together. So since they are considered to be separate domains, the Anshichotse are allowed to carry in the courtyard, and the Anshimar Peses are allowed to carry in the balcony. That is not allowed to carry things from one to the other. And the Mishnah says, furthermore, anything in the courtyard which is at least 10 tefachim high. For example, let's say there's a cupboard in the chotzer. So that cupboard is considered la marpeses. It's considered a part of the marpeses, of the balcony. Meaning that the members of the balcony are allowed to pass things from on top of the cupboard into the balcony. And they can carry things from the balcony onto the top of the cupboard. And the Gemara explains that we're discussing a case where it's, it's within 10 tefachim. The top of the cupboard is within tent fachim of the floor of the balcony. So because of that, it's much more accessible to those living on the balcony, and therefore they are the ones who are allowed to carry from the balcony onto the top of the cupboard. Pachas mekan. But if it is less than tent fachim from the ground of the courtyard, so that means that it's within tent fachim of both the courtyard and the balcony, in terms of height. So the Mishnah says, Lechotzer which we're going to translate to mean it also belongs to those living in the houses opening up into the courtyard. Since it's easy for both the lower houses and the upper houses to access this cupboard or whatever it may be, so it's considered part of both of them, and since they didn't make an of together, just like it's forbidden to carry from the courtyard into the balcony, it's also forbidden for either of them to carry things onto or from the cupboard, since it is considered to be part of the other domain as well. Alright, the mission continues. Chugas Habur, the earth which is piled up around a pit. When one digs a pit, so all of the earth, they tend to pile up on the side of the pit and create a sort of wall around the pit. 
Vasela or a large rock, if they are ten Tfachim high above the ground of the courtyard, again it's considered part of the balcony, if it's less than that, then it is considered to be part of the courtyard, and again as we explained, if it is also within ten Tfachim of the balcony, so that means it's considered to be part of both the courtyard and the balcony, and therefore it will be forbidden to carry things onto there. And now the Mishnah at the end qualifies the last part of the Mishnah, one of these words said, with items in the courtyard which are close to the balcony. But things which are far away from the balcony, let's say it's situated in the middle of the courtyard. So you might be able to just about, just about reach it from the balcony, but it's definitely not a convenient thing to use for the people who live on the balcony. So the mission says, even if the, let's take the example we used before, even if the cupboard is at least 10 tefachim high, which means that it's not convenient for the people living in the courtyard either, since it's not convenient for either of them, lechotzer, so it's considered part of the courtyard as well, and so neither of them can use it since it's part of both domains. The Ezei Smucha asks the Mishnah what is considered to be close to the balcony. Anything which is no further than four tefachim away from the balcony, that will be considered something convenient for those living there to use. And as such, if it is ten tefachim above the ground of the courtyard, they would be able to use it and carry things onto it and carry things from it into the balcony.